First of all, hello. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Okay, so I have a couple of requests. Okay, first request is turn off your cell phone or put it on vibrate or something. Okay, that's the first request. Second request is all the ones sitting down here, if you're not facing me, could you all turn around? Cat, I don't want to see your back the whole time. Okay, could everybody turn around? especially if you're sitting down here and I would suggest you don't have to do this it's not a it's not a class at UT but I would suggest that you take some notes uh, a lot of this is really helpful material so I wanted to go back and, and uh, just cover again uh, what was covered last week let me ask this question first of all how many were here last week raise your hands Okay, good, quite a few, that's excellent. And for the ones that weren't, I'm gonna try to catch everybody up. So we started last week by looking at what the journey of a Christian looks like as portrayed by the picture in Exodus. And if you remember, the first stage last week was we were all somewhere. Do you all remember where we were at the very beginning of this journey? We were in a slave house in Egypt. Every one of us. And then, you know, of course, Trevor gave us a great illustration. You might think, well, I'm not enslaved. And then he gave the uh, illustration, you remember last week, of uh, Netflix and uh, being enslaved where you start one episode. And, uh, well, you know, uh, I'll go to bed soon. And then the next episode and then the next episode until eventually it's four in the morning and you can't get up for church the next day because you've been Netflixed out. That's the slave house. You remember that. Okay, but that's not the end of the journey. That's just the beginning of the journey. And, the, and that journey goes on with the Passover lamb where we're redeemed. And then they crossed through the Red Sea and they were saved from Egypt by crossing through the Red Sea, which if you remember, is a picture of our baptism. Then, as they, after they crossed the Red Sea, they were led by a pillar of cloud during the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. And that means that after we have crossed through the Red Sea, we are now led by the Spirit. Then, uh, if you remember after that, the next part of the journey is they ate the manna and they drank the water out of the rock. And I love what he said. He said they were put on a 40-year diet. They had a change of their diet. You know, it's one thing to come out of Egypt. That was easy. But for Egypt to get out of you, it's not so easy. And so they needed to spend 40 years eating manna and water out of the rock so they could be reconstituted to be God's people. The manna was a heavenly food that God gave them to reconstitute them. Then, eventually, they got to the mountain of God, and they got the revelation there. And this, to me, was really important. If you didn't catch this, to me, this is probably one of the most touching parts. Up to that point, God had done everything for them. You think about it. He sent the plagues. He delivered them out of Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea, he fed them, he did everything for them, and when they got to the mountain, this is what he said. This is in Exodus 25, 8, it says, and let them make a sanctuary for me. 
And I'd like you to just let those words just resonate in your being. For me. In other words, everything up to that point was for them. Now, God is saying, let them make a sanctuary for me. There's a turn here. Because we're not just saved and supplied and on this journey just for ourselves. But eventually we want to get to a point where we are taking care of God's interest on the earth. And this is what he desires, is to have a sanctuary, which he says is for me. And finally, at the end of the book of Exodus, they built it. They built the tabernacle, and the glory of God filled it. So that was last week. And we felt to spend two weeks, we'll have one time this week, and then two weeks from now, on this sheet here. So keep it if you can, make some notes on it. Because on this journey, we need to build the foundation. And we have this verse here, and I'll read it, and you can just follow along. Right at the top of your sheet there, it says, He is like a man building a house who dug and went deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when, the, when a flood came, the river broke out against that house, yet it was not strong enough to shake it. The river wasn't strong enough to shake it because it had been built well. So I just want you to think about it. You know, how many people in here, I'm not, you know, I know the girls, it's hard, you don't want to tell me how old you are, but how many are here that are 18 or 19? Raise your hand. Okay, actually that's kind of, you know, something, it's great. You're only 18? That's wonderful. Okay, now you think about this. Think about where you're going to be 10 years from now. 28 and 29. I just want you to think about this. All the major changes, decisions in your life come in these next 10 years. I just want you to consider this. Your degree, what job you're going to take. Most of you will be married in the next 10 or 11 years. Some of you guys are going to have children in the next 10 or 11 years. There's just major changes in this next 10 or 11 years. And what you lay now as a foundation in your Christian life will greatly affect you when the times of pressure come. You know, it's easy now. You get up and all you've got to do is take care of your own self to feed. But when that baby's crying at 4 in the morning, in the morning it's not so easy I know right now you can't think about babies what is this guy talking about let me tell you 10 years goes by real fast and the foundation that you lay now will greatly greatly affect your Christian life 10 years from now my wife and I we bought a house it was our first house we were so happy. This house was so nice. It had four bedrooms, a big living room. You know, we wanted it to have meetings with the students to come in. And uh, everything was fine. There was no problems with the house. And then um, we had one summer where it got real dry. No rain whatsoever. And I noticed after a period of time that if you looked up at where the ceiling meets the wall, there's these big spaces starting to happen between the ceiling and the wall. And then one day I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden I heard a kind of a, you know, before something shatters, you hear this 
like that, and then another like that, and before you know it, this big plate glass in the living room just shattered, just like that. No one touched it or anything. And uh, what happened, what we found out was that when the house was built, the foundation was not properly laid. It was a foundation matter. And for years, everything was fine. But when some type of problem came, it was exposed that it was a faulty foundation. This is why right now, it's so critical to lay the proper foundation in your Christian life. And so what we will do in these, these two weeks that we will cover this matter, we will look at six points that are so basic in laying a foundation for your Christian life. I'll probably cover two of them tonight, and then Terry will cover the next four, and if, if we have time tonight, he might start on one of them. But the first foundation thing that we have to lay is we need to become a praying person. Now, I would like you to write down on a piece of paper. Don't worry, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. But I want you to write down right now. I'm going to say a sentence. I want you to fill in the blank. Okay? The sentence is this. The primary significance of prayer is... And then you fill in the blank. Okay, so let me say that again. The primary significance of prayer is, and you fill in the blank. It could be one word, two words, three words, a sentence. But I just want you to fill in the blank because I want you to think about this for a second. The primary significance of prayer is. All right, now, can somebody give me one of your answers? I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. I just want to hear what some of the answers were. Okay, so is there a brother, a freshman that could give us one of the answers? Okay, what do you have, brother? Communicate with God. Very good. Okay. Closeness with God. Closeness with God. Okay, any sisters? Oh, I like these. Connection, communicate, closeness. These are great words. Anybody else? Say again? Building. Building with God. Okay, now, I want you to take a look at the first verse that I have under this. It's two words. It might be one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Okay, could we all read 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Ready? Go. pray. Okay. You want to memorize? Be your first verse to memorize? <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Unceasingly pray. That's easy, right? Okay, now, here's the question. Yeah, Jesus wept because it has fewer letters, right? Okay, but I think we can handle, we're college students, unceasingly pray, right? First Thessalonians 5.17. So here's my question to y'all. What is it in our physical life that we do unceasingly? In other words, do we eat unceasingly? Well, some of the brothers get close to that. <laughs> Eating unceasingly. I mean, I, I have a 19-year-old son, and, and uh, you know, he eats, he eats supper, and then, you know, he's downstairs two hours later, and I said, Sammy, what are you doing? He says, I've got to get something to eat. And I'm like, you just ate supper, you know? Uh, so we don't eat unceasingly. How about drink? Do we drink unceasingly? Well, in this, you know, this generation, it's the generation of water bottles, right? 
In my generation, there wasn't water bottles like it is today. But, but really, even drinking, you don't drink unceasingly. How about sleeping? Yeah, some of us get close on sleeping unceasingly, right? <laughs> There's only one thing. Think about this. There's only one thing that we do in our human life unceasingly, and that is to breathe. That is the only thing that we do unceasingly. Isn't it interesting that it says unceasingly pray? Now, I looked in this book. The name of this book, you're going to love the name of this book. This book is called How to Enjoy God. That's the first part of it. And How to Practice the Enjoyment of God. Sounds like a very interesting book, How to Enjoy God. And so he, he said something in this book that I thought was really good. Now, let, let me read it to you. It says, prayer is not mainly a matter of coming to God to ask for something. See, most of us, when we think of prayer, it's asking God for something, okay? Then it goes on. The primary significance of prayer is to breathe in God. This is the primary significance of prayer, to breathe in God, to absorb God. Then I'll read you the last sentence. When we pray, our intention should be to breathe in God and absorb Him. So the primary significance of prayer is to breathe in God. And actually, your answers were quite good. Communicate and, and, you know, contact. It's breathing. Okay, you think about it. When you breathe, basically breathing is two steps. You're breathing out something. What are you breathing out? CO2, right? Carbon dioxide. And what are you breathing in? Oxygen. When we pray, and you can do this on the way to class. You can do this in the elevator. You can do this in the bathroom. We need to breathe out. Now, what are we breathing out? Think about this. Okay, give me one thing that you might breathe out. Okay, how about this? Anybody anxious about anything? You know, the freshmen, I mean, some, some, some of the, the freshmen, they can't find their class the first day. Did anybody get lost the first day? Yeah, I know, I know some of you. Yeah, right there, you know, you're just being honest. Okay, you're anxious. Okay, so listen, if you're anxious, that's okay. You breathe it out. You say, God, I'm anxious. I'm anxious about this class. I'm anxious about what this professor wants. You just breathe it out. When you breathe out carbon dioxide, spontaneously, you breathe in oxygen. The same way, when we breathe out our anxieties, God gets breathed into our being. Okay, what else would we breathe out? Okay, anxiety is one. How about fear? Just fear. There's lots of fears, especially coming to a new situation. How about how about this one? Sadness. How do you all feel when you get a test back and and you know that red mark at the top of the test isn't quite what you thought it was going to be? There's definitely an emotional dip right there. It's called sadness. You know what? You need to tell the Lord, Lord. I'm really sad. I just did four on this test. I mean, it's okay. Listen, it's okay to be sad. Okay? We're not talking about being some type of special super overcomer. 
what we're talking about is we need to build the foundation of breathing, of praying, of telling the Lord, Lord, I'm sad about this. I'm sad I got this. Now, this one's going to blow your mind. How about happiness? Okay, this is what I'd like to make a challenge this semester. The next time you guys, and I've already asked, where's Jessica sitting? Where's Jessica? I asked Jessica before. Jessica, do you remember what I, I, I shared with you? Okay, have you gotten any tests back yet, Jessica? Okay, you think about this. How about this? You get that test back, and it's an A. You feel pretty pumped up. You're pretty happy about that. Could you breathe out happiness and say, Lord, I am so happy I got an A on this test. See, most of the time, we don't even think. Well, everything's fine. I don't need to say anything. But listen, God wants you to breathe out happiness. Even the things you're enjoying, breathe them out so that he can breathe himself into you. You can be happy without God. you know that? God wants to be everything in our life. Not only when we're sad, when we're happy. He wants us to live a life of breathing. So, you know, that next verse, I think you all enjoy that. It says, I desire that men pray in every place. So we, this is just our life. It's a foundation that we have to build up while we're here at UT to be breathing people. We're breathing out all the things that bother us and all the things that are good and letting God come in and absorb him. Okay, then number two, we have to become a what? Bible reading person. Okay, how about we all read 1 Timothy 4.13a? Could you all read it together? Ready, go. Okay, and then in Colossians 3.16a, it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I just want to pay, I want you to just circle the word let. The whole verse is great, but if you don't have let there, the word's not going to get in. We have to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. In other words, there's human cooperation here. It wants to. He wants the word to dwell in us richly, but we have to let it. We have to allow it to come in and dwell in us richly. And there's three reasons why we need to let the word in. Okay, and these three reasons, there's three directions. So I'd like you to write down these three reasons. Number one, for our Christian living. Number one, for our Christian living, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Number two, we need to let the word in for our living in the body of Christ. In other words, the Christian life is not an individual life. It's very much a corporate life. It's a life among the members of the body of Christ. So we need the word to come in for living in the body of Christ. And then number three, the third direction is we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us for our service to God. So three directions, our Christian living, our living in the body of Christ, and our service to God. So the first verse that I have under for our living is Psalm 12, 6. It says, the words of Jehovah are what? Pure words. Silver refined in a furnace on the earth, purified seven times. You know, every, you know, in the age that we're living in, and 
I'm not blaming anybody. This is just an information age where people are glued to devices. I mean, even right now as I'm speaking, I'm not looking, but you might be glued to your device right now. Of course, I know Kat's not because I'm looking right at her. <laughs> but, but the thing is, listen, when you're glued to the device, something is either coming into the eyes or it's coming into the ears all the time. All the time, something's coming in. And no matter how funny it is, no matter how maybe noble it is, there's always something impure that's coming in. There's something that has a kind of a bias to it, something that has a kind of a prejudice to it. There's a kind of a, a hook in so many things that are coming into your being. But we can boldly proclaim that in this universe, there is one thing that when it comes into your being, it's pure. There's no bias, there's no impurity, and when that thing comes in called the Word of God, it purifies you. You know, you might feel, oh, I'm so bad, I'm such a poor Christian. Okay, so am I. But there is a thing in this universe called the Word that is purified seven times. And when that word comes in, that word purifies you with it. So don't look at your situation. Don't look at it. Just look at what's pure. Yes, I'm, we're all impure. But that word, there is one thing in this universe that's pure. And it, when it comes into you, why do you think it is? You can have seven Bibles on your shelf, but you just can't, can't get to read it. You know, there's a Bible next to your bed, but it's just so hard to open it up. Because the enemy knows if that word comes in, the one pure thing in the universe, that thing will purify you. This is why the word is so important right now. Don't wait until you graduate. Don't wait until you get married. Don't wait until there's kids. Right now, take in the one thing in this universe that will purify you. It's the only thing that will. It's the Word of God. Okay, then if you look at the next verse, it says, okay, well, let's read it together, John, uh, John 17, 17. Okay, ready? Go. Okay, so I'd like to use a little illustration. Sanctify, listen, sanctify basically has two meanings, okay? So you can write down these two meanings. Number one is sanctify separates you to God. It separates you in a positional way to God. Number two, it saturates you with the element of God. So sanctification, to be sanctified is just two words, separated and saturated. So if anyone asks you what is sanctification, don't think, well, now I wear white shirts only. No, we're not talking about that. Or now, you know, I don't wear this type of clothing, and now I don't say these type of things. Sanctification is one thing, separated to God and saturated with God, okay? So I'd like to give a little illustration so Chris can come down. Okay, Brian, where's Brian? Come on down, Brian. Brian, don't be afraid. This come on, knows, Brian. He knows. Come on, Brian. Okay, so... And then, and then I need one more person. Come on up. So let's have uh, Philip Bixby come on up. Yeah, the Bixby. 
Okay. And uh, this this right here, Bixby, is the Lord. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's Brian. And this right here is the Word of God. All right. right and here's Brian. And Brian, how long have you been a Christian? Two years. I think you got baptized last year, right? <laughs> Great. So, you know, there, there's a there's a song in our hymnal, and I want to just read you one of the choruses or the the, 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 the stanzas that says this. Listen to what this stanza says. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's, I'm always touched when I read that because I feel that's me it's talking about. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's Brian, and he's been a Christian, but he starts to drift. He begins drifting away. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. And, and you know, a lot of times we don't want to, but we just get away from the Lord. And, you know, like some of us this summer, we went home, and we started wandering, getting away from the Lord. I'm not, it's good to go home, but you know how it is. And then a little more, and, and then we find get into some hobby this summer, we really got into it, and just wandering, drifting away from the Lord. And then something else happened, and he became the president of some club here at UT, and he's wandering some more. Okay, so you stay right here. But you know what? In this universe, we have the word. And that word, if you feel like you're wandering, if you feel like you're getting away from the God you love, that word will bring you back. Every time that word will bring you back. So all of a sudden the word comes. It might be, yeah. Yes. And he's gonna bring he's gonna bring Brian back to the Lord. All right. <laughs> Once the word comes, the word will sanctify and bring that person back to the Lord. And if you feel like you've drifted away, that word, just opening the Bible, will bring you back to him because it's a power within the word to bring you back to God. Okay, thank you for that illustration. So I think you're clear from the illustration, right? Okay, then, and this is still under your Christian living. It's important. It purifies us. It brings us back to God. How about this one? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, the word, without light, we're stumbling in darkness. We don't know where to go, how to go on in our life. Sisters, let me ask y'all a question. Y'all want to get married? There's some truthful ones here, right? <laughs> okay. Who should you marry? You know, that word needs to be a light under your path. You know, in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There needs to be practical light there for your path. 
Okay, brothers, how about work? Okay. You know, you get this great opportunity, Philip, for a job. Great opportunity. And uh, the only problem is, is the job is every night of the week, and you're going to miss every meeting. I just want you to think about this. You have another job situation where maybe you don't get as much money, you don't like it as much, but you wouldn't miss any meetings. Okay, Matthew 6.33, write it down. This is practical life for our Christian life. Matthew 6.33, any freshman can stand up and quote this verse. I will give you a free lunch. Any freshman, any freshman, no, you can't look. Don't look at your device now. Don't look at your device. Can any freshman stand up and speak Matthew 6.33? There's got to be one in here. Okay, Carrie, I'm taking you out for lunch. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these practical things will be added. That has to be a touchstone shining to us in every decision we make in our college years. But if you've never read it, you're not familiar with it, there's no light for your path. Every time we read the word, there's light for our path there. I just gave a couple of examples, but the word is a light. It keeps us out of darkness. Okay, so wouldn't you say the word is important for our living? It purifies us. It sanctifies us. It's a light to our path. There's probably many other things, but I just wanted to pick out a few things here. Okay, then how about living in the body of Christ? Could you all read Ephesians 4.25? Ready? Go. individuals we are not individuals you know sometimes I'll talk to Christians they'll say it's personal it's personal with me you are a member one of another it's not just personal yes it is personal but it's not only personal we live in the realm of the body of Christ and we need to speak truth to one another we need to speak the word to one another so have you all ever had this situation I have and it's so embarrassing uh, I'll be there, and I haven't been reading the Word, and somebody comes up to me and they'll say, what have you enjoyed in the Word lately? And I do this thing called seal barking. That's when you don't have anything. And then you, you try to dig up some, you know, something from, you know, five years ago and, you know, heat it up real quick so you can give it to the person. Brothers, we're all like that. I, I, I indict myself when I say that. We're all like that. Right. We live in the body. We have to have something fresh every day to give to the other members of the body. That's why we have a reading schedule. I really hope you're on the reading schedule. It's Matthew 5 today. I hope you enjoy Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That reading schedule so that we can have something fresh every day of the word coming into us so we can speak to others. Or how about this, you're praying with some believers. Maybe that's just two or three of you praying. And they pray a prayer like this, Lord, you're the Alpha and the Omega. And you might be in your mind thinking, what are they talking about the alphabet for? <laughs> if you haven't read Revelation, 
you don't know it says, Christ said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Just reading the word enriches your prayer life in the body of Christ. Very much enriches it. I mean, eventually you'll catch on, oh, Alpha, he's the beginning, that's right, it's the beginning of the semester. Amen, Lord, you're my Alpha, okay? But you didn't enjoy the riches of it because you weren't familiar with it. But the more we get in the word, we're familiar with the word, it affects our living in the body of Christ. Okay, then lastly, because I'm out of time here, even our service to God. Okay, in, in, in John 21, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Feed my lambs. What are we going to feed the lambs with? We need a storehouse of the word. A storehouse. The lambs are there. They ask us questions. They have needs. You know, what if someone comes to you? I'll just give you one example. Someone comes to you and they're condemned. Well, what if they come to you and they say, I'm condemned. I'm just so bothered. I have no peace inside. What are you going to tell them? It's the lamb. The lamb that needs help. What are you going to tell that lamb? I just want you to think about this. People get condemned. Their conscience gets wounded. What are you going to tell them? Val, I told you I wouldn't pick on you, but i got to pick on you, Val. What are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them, Val? Yeah, but, but specifically, well, I did that, but I'm still condemned, Val. Okay, let me tell you, Val. Write this down. First <laughs> John one nine. Okay, this is like another cardinal verse. You got to have this. You got to know it. You got to be familiar with it. It's like getting into a room of a house and you know it. You know this room. Somebody comes to you condemn you. Say, if you know what it says in in First John one nine, if we confess our sins. He is faithful, and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you think that little lamb would get fed if you shared that with him? Oh, so much. But if you don't have the word, and this lamb is there bleeding and is condemned, we don't have the help. We have to have the word in us so we can give them the help. So I just want to say again for our living, the word is our purity, purifies us sanctifies us, it enlightens us. For our Christian life in the body, the word supplies others in the body. And for our service, the word helps feed the sheep and even in preaching the gospel. So this is just two things. And Carrie, next or two weeks from now, we'll share the next four points that are on the list. So try to keep this, try to keep your notes in this. And then next week, Dr. Dillow will share with us. Is it science in the Bible, Ken? Yeah, science in the Bible. Don't miss it. Uh, that's a great time to have that. But anyways, how do you feel about your living? Don't you think this is foundational? We really need this. We need it during these college years to have this foundation laid right now. Don't wait. Okay, we'll stop here. I think there might be some announcements and some dessert, right?